This morning we are working on the Ask series. The Ask series works like this. You ask questions and then I have to preach on that. And when we were coming up with this series last fall, we said, oh, this would be really good. We can, can get some really great questions. There's all kinds of stuff happening, although it seems like there's so much, many different things happening um, that maybe we're going to get questions, and then by the time we finally get around to answering them way off in January, uh, those questions will be relevant at that point. Like, those won't be the hot-button hot topics anymore. Uh, for, for instance, uh, at that time when one of the questions was asked, the, the question came in several different forms, but the, at its most basic it was, are we going to be blown up? Are, are we going to be blown up? And, and that was a, a relevant question because North Korea was firing test missiles and doing various things and uh, there were shootings in churches and other kinds of things. And, and we went, yeah, that's really relevant, but I don't know if that's going to be a thing come January. Still a thing, turns out. Uh, apparently, government leaders just keep nuke buttons on their desks. And, and so this is still... This is still a topic, and, and what, this, what this series means, though, is that we have to approach this in a completely different way than the way that we normally do. Okay, so the way that we normally approach something is that we preach through a book of the Bible, we take the next section of Scripture, I don't have to worry about what we're going to preach on next because we just take that next section of Scripture, I read what it says, I study it, I understand it, I help you to see this is how we take the biblical text, how we understand it, see what it means, and then apply it to, uh, to our lives. And what I'm trying to do is uh, do that both for you and model for you how we do that. This is not like that, which stresses me out. <laughs> this is a completely different skill. This is now we're asking a question that is a relevant question that we should be asking and we're saying how do we think about this biblically like as a christian how do i view this topic and how do i answer this question this is a completely different skill folks and we are going to uh, do this in a completely different way and i'm hoping that as we go through this the next four weeks if i survive we will see how we think about questions that come to us, okay? Because we only have time in the next four weeks to cover four questions. Are we going to be blown up? How do we deal with the polarity of the culture that we live in? How, how do we live in a sexually charged world? And how do we live in a sexually broken world? That's plenty, okay? That, but... There are many, many more questions. And so I'm hoping that as we go through these, we will begin to see patterns of how do we look, get questions like this and respond to them in a biblical way. Okay, lots of introduction. Let's get into it. Our initial question, are we going to get blown up? Are we going to get blown up? When, when I get a question like this, I have to stop and go, okay, what's the real question here? What's the real question? The, the, the way the question is phrased is, are we going to get blown up? What's the actual underlying thing, right? 
What's, what's underpinning this question? Why is this question being asked right now? Well, maybe this question is being asked right now because uh, we see some political turmoil, we see international turmoil, and there, there may be some sort of an explosion thing, right? Or, or maybe there's been some kind of a shooting and you go, am I going to be shot? It, the, the likelihood seems small, but actually, is, could that happen? I... I, I tend to stay in safe places and I, I keep myself safe at all times. I live in Wilsonville. That's pretty good. I keep my doors locked. I keep to myself. I keep my head down. But still things happen. Right? Weird stuff happens. That There was a swatting in, uh, episode just this last week. Swatting works like this. I make a phone call to the police on behalf of someone else and pretend like there's an emergency so that the SWAT team will show up at the other person's house. This is not a good game. So what happened in this last week is there were two gamers online, got into a feud, some kind of a problem between them. They got mad. The one guy got the other guy's address and swatted him. Turns out it wasn't his address. So the police showed up at a a completely unsuspecting party's house thinking that he had already murdered somebody and was holding two others hostage, had poured gasoline all over the house and was about to blow the whole thing up. This is what the police walked into expecting. He's having dinner with his family. Lots of lights, lots of noise, things happening outside. He comes out, moves too quickly, gets shot, and he's dead from his own house. There are threats out there, right? There are fears that we have. Hang on, I could be shot from my own house and have nothing to do with the feud or anything? Hang on, these, these political leaders are making these threats and things. There are real people whose lives are at stake here. Are we going to get blown up? And so when that question comes, the question that underlies that in, is, am I safe? Am I safe? The way that we have, have taken this question, uh, are, are we going to get blown up, is uh, how do we live without fear in a volatile world? Right? If we can take the question and phrase it in a way that we go, this, this really is the core of the issue. The core of the issue is there are all of these threats out there. The world is a very volatile place. Am I safe? How can I not be afraid? How can I not be afraid with all of the threats that are out there? This is a question that people are asking all the time. When I was uh, in college, I lived in the science dorm. I was a pre-med major at the time. God changed things in my life, no longer headed that direction. But at the time, I was a pre-med major living in the science dorm around very smart people. And one day, uh, a bunch of my friends came knocking on my door. 
And they said, Travis, we have a question for you. I said, okay. They said, you know the Bible, right? Come on, guys. What kind of a prank is this? None of you, I know, all of you guys, none of you believe in the Bible. Yep, I believe in the Bible. Where is this going? They said, they're about to do an experiment. Okay, who's going to do it? They are, they're going to do this experiment. It's a relativistic heavy ion collider. For those of you like me who weren't smart enough to know what that meant, it means they take these ions, very small particles, they move them as fast as they can and right at each other and they smash them together to see what happens. And they said there's, a, there's this experiment that's going to be done and there's a chance that that could turn into a black hole and within six seconds the entire world will be sucked into that black hole and disappear. Could the world end that way? Could the world end that way? Yeah, you know the Bible. Could the world end that way? That's crazy. They were all smarter than me. But when it comes to, hey, there's this kind of a threat, could the world end in next week when they try this experiment because we are afraid of this black hole, they come to me. Hey, what does the Bible say about this? These are, these are real issues that, and real threats that we have to deal with. And so I want to go back. Uh, I had the, the privilege of sitting and listening to Pastor Tim last week as he was going through Habakkuk and saying, can we ask questions of God? And he went to Habakkuk chapter 1, and I was hearing this and going, oh, I'm going to use that text again next week for sure. Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 2, Habakkuk the prophet is crying out to the Lord, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you look, why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, and so justice goes forth perverted. What's happening is Habakkuk is standing in Jerusalem, and the, this invading army is coming in. The Chaldeans are coming in, and he's going, God, all of the evidence says we're about to get taken over by this army. Your people in your land, in your place, are about to get defeated and taken over by this army. Uh, tell me that's not true. Tell me that's not true. And God responds in, in verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than even than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress and they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. That's not very encouraging. 
for Habakkuk, who's crying out to the Lord and saying, God, I just want to remind you, as there's this uh, foreign people coming in who are about to defeat us and take us over, that's what it looks like. I remember all of the things from of old. I remember all the times that you were in battle with your people, and we won, and you protected your people. And I just want to remind you that your people are in your land with your presence, and uh, so would you please turn these Chaldeans away from us? And God goes, oh, no, 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 you wouldn't believe it even if I told you what was going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Those Chaldeans are way worse than you think, and they are totally going to run all over the top of you, and they're going to defeat you, and it will be over. That's a little bit like going, hey, God, uh, uh, there's this threat. There's this North Korea thing. Um, Could that actually happen, God? Oh, yeah, totes. Yep. Blow up the whole United States. That could definitely happen. You encouraged? Shall I be done? Now, I, I want to be careful before we draw this parallel too much, right, between God's people and North Korea and the United States right now. God's people had a promise from God. When I say God's people, I mean the Israelite nation at that time were a national people that God had made His promise to. He said, you will be my people, I will be your God, you will be living in my place with my presence as my people. We don't have that. We are not that. We don't have those kinds of promises. God's people now are those who follow Him. And if you look at the book of Habakkuk and you see what God would do to His own national people, yep, that could happen to anyone, anywhere, anytime. So how do we deal with this, right? If, if the question is, how do we live in a place, in a, in a volatile world without fear, then one of the things that I start to do is I start to go, okay, where did this come from? What does the Bible have to say about these kinds of things? And the first place I, I thought to go was to Genesis chapter 4. Because in Genesis chapter 4, you have the very first act of violence. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. We have now four people on earth. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the the fruit of the ground and Abel also of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? 
And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. There's, there's two brothers. There's not anybody else. And they both bring offerings to the Lord. And for whatever reason, we could make lots of speculations, but for whatever reason, God regards the one and, and not so much the other. And it makes Cain furious. He's jealous. He's angry. And he lashes out by killing his brother. There's, there's, there's this sin that is within people that comes out in awful ways. I, I hate to make it too simple and go, well, why is there all of this violence and death in the world? It's because of sin. But really, it's that simple. There is sin within each of us that is crouching at the door, looking for opportunities and waiting for, for times to persuade us to do something. And the Lord sees this in Cain and goes, Cain, time out. Watch it. Be careful. Because the sin is right there and it's at the door. And if you're not careful, it's going to cause you to do something and you have to control it and stop it and say, no, that's not what I'm going to be. That's not what I'm going to do. Because Cain, if you do well, won't you be accepted? And Cain doesn't do that. He doesn't listen to the voice of the Lord to do that. And it just boils up within him and his rage Boom! He plans it out. This is how I'm going to do it. He takes Abel out and he kills him. And there are people like that in the world right now. And there's this threat because of them. Uh, Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard, it said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. These are, these are the things, it's, it's an internal thing that comes up from within and results and so what Jesus is saying is, these are even the attitudes and the thoughts that, that come before that. You, you have to stop it there. Pay attention there. Watch it there. And so then what, what, I, what I have to ask is, okay, if we do have this world of violence, and if it comes about through sin like this in unpredictable ways, what are some of the ways that we try to deal with this? Right? What are some of the ways that we try to, to deal with this? And there's all kinds of answers. Next week we'll be talking about the polarity uh, of the culture that we live in and the, the environment that is so polarized. One of the reasons that it is so polarized is people have different ideas of what the solutions to the problems are. Violence, that's a problem. What's the solution to the problem? Gun control. If we just controlled all the guns then we wouldn't have the violence problem. Mental health. 
If we corrected mental health, that would solve this. Education. If we just educated people properly, then, then we would be done with this. I, I actually heard this recently. Somebody, somebody said, you know, I believe that all of the wars and things that we have going on in, in just a couple of generations will be gone because people will be educated enough that, that there won't be those kinds of issues anymore. There are lots of different ideas about how we will handle this. We, we trust in the government. We trust in education. Sometimes we, we jump to superficial biblical answers. And we go, oh, you know what? I'm God's person. Not going to worry about it. Just not a problem because, because we are God's people. And so God won't let that happen to us. No, I read Habakkuk, and it seems like God might let something like that happen to us. So we don't, we don't want to jump to superficial answers like that, that we just go, you know what, no, not a problem. We're not, gonna, we're not going to treat it as a real issue. We want to recognize, no, these are real things, and we want to see the different ways that people try to solve this problem and recognize that none of those actually is going to work. Because the root is sin, and it's a character issue that is within us, that is within all people, and it's going to crop up, and there's going to be divisions, and there's going to be uh, people against one another, and these kinds of things are going to happen because people are stupid. And so then my next, my next thought is, okay, what, what, what is God going to do about this? Do I have any hope from God's word about what he's going to do about this? And I begin to look through the scriptures. That's why this kind of a thing is so much more work. When you're reading the Bible, and I would encourage you, read the Bible on a regular basis. When you're reading the, the Bible day after day and you're taking it piece by piece and you're, you're understanding this bit and that bit and, that, and you start linking them all together and you get a better picture of who God is and you go, oh, this starts to apply to this situation. Oh, this reminds me of that situation. Very helpful. But when you come to a problem like this and you go, what does the Bible say about this? The only solution that I can come up with is you have to read the Bible. Because the temptation otherwise is to go to a text or a verse or something and go, ha, oh, I feel so much better. I'm going to just flip through until I find something that encourages me. Oh, hey, good. This encourages me. Don't have to worry anymore. The only thing that I can come up with is that you have to just read through the whole Bible and get, get the answer. Now, I didn't have time this week to read through the entire Bible. Um, laziness, I suppose. Um, but there are all kinds of tools out there for you also. Uh, Bible apps that you can put on your phone and do a search. And so I just started doing searches for war and battle and violence and went, well, there's a lot of these. Lots and lots. And started reading this, this one and that one. And, and I came across this from Isaiah chapter 2. 
It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Micah chapter 4 says a similar thing. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established... Wait a second. Did I? Yep. Sorry, I thought that I had copied and pasted the same text twice and mislabeled it, but I think they're just that similar. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes. For strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Revelation chapter 19, then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called faithful and true and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and by the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh are written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As we start looking through the scriptures, we start seeing these things about what it will be like in the end. And a hope for the end. And a peace in the end. When Jesus will come again and will rule the world and he will put an end to all wars and to all violence, there won't be need for swords anymore. Because Jesus is coming again and he will, will put an end to it and he will be the King of kings and Lord of lords and there will be eternal peace forevermore. Because he will, defeated, he, he will have defeated all of the enemies. And my, my quick temptation then is to go, whew, solved it. I got to that part and I went, yes, I got it. This is my text. I'm going to stand up on Sunday morning and I'm going to say, here's the answer. In the end, Jesus wins. That's fantastic news. What was the question? How do we live... 
in a volatile world without fear. In the end, we win. It's a little bit like saying to somebody uh, who has the question, how am I going to live for the next three weeks with no money and not go hungry? Well, you're going to get this paycheck at the first of the month and you'll get food then. Okay, fantastic for next month, but I'm hungry now. How am I not going to be hungry now? So if I answer the question, how do we live in a volatile world without fear, by saying, in the end, there will be peace, that doesn't really help. I mean, it does give us hope for the future, but for the right now, how do I live right now without fear? There's still a threat right now that we could get blown up, and the scriptures that I read from Habakkuk didn't help us. They didn't encourage us to make us think that the threat would be any less. And so I want to give you a couple of things about what do we do in the meantime while we're waiting for the ultimate hope. What do we do in the meantime? The first is this. uh, Don't worry about the people that can only kill your body. Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. There is, because we have this ultimate hope, right? The ultimate answer is that God is going to uh, come again. He's going to reign. There will be peace on earth. That's the ultimate answer. In the meantime, there is some hope that whatever happens to me physically, that's my ultimate hope. So there is a sense in which the ultimate hope does have effect today. Because I know that I can make it through right now. Whatever happens to me physically, I'm not going to worry about the people who can only kill the body. Because ultimately, I will have peace with God and will rest with Him forevermore. Should my body be killed in the meantime, it will just hasten the peace that I have with Him. Psalm 127 Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Our tendency when we hear of threats is to figure out ways to avoid them. That's, I mean, that's a survival thing. Right? That's, that's natural. If you see threats, you figure out ways to avoid them and, and to, to get around them. And so we might hide. We might run away. We might go someplace that we feel is safe. We might go home. We might build a fortress. We, we might do lots of different things to protect ourselves. What Psalm 127 reminds us is that without the Lord's help, that's not safety. Without the Lord's help, that's not safety. 
If you're, if you're standing like a watchman waiting for that threat to come and you're, you're just standing guard, if you don't have the Lord with you, there's no actual help there. You're just waiting in vain. You're watching in vain. Our tendency is to, to run away and hide or, or to attempt to secure ourselves in some way. But, but what I have been thinking about as I've been looking through these scriptures, and we'll look at some more in a minute, is when God is with me and when I am serving him, is there really any place on earth that is more secure and safe than any other place? Now, I'm not saying, hey, I'm a Christian and I, I, I follow God and so I can just go do whatever. I could go bungee jumping without a, a, a cord and God could save me. That's true, but unless he's called you to bungee jump without a cord, it's probably not a great idea. However, if I'm walking in faith and obedience with God then wherever I am, I can be confident that He is with me. I am just as secure there, wherever that may be, as I am at home. Let me give you an example of this from Daniel chapter 3. Daniel has three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they've gotten into trouble with the king. And so there's going to be this punishment, and uh, he tells them, look, you need to give up your God, or else you're going to be punished. And this is their response to them, to him, to the king in uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is where they're at. They go, Look, you can throw us into a furnace of fire, but God can protect us there as well as here. We will not turn from the Lord our God because he is our protection. Even if he chooses not to, we still have confidence in him that he would be able to. And if he wants to allow us to die in there, that's fine with us because we are serving him to the end. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God and the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. 
God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is worth us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to end the earth, to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me. Answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of my enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble against me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around, they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. Listen to the psalmist as he's crying out here. He's afraid. He's trembling. The threat is there. The threat is real. And his first inclination is to go, I wish I was a bird and I could fly away. If I could just run away from this unsafe place and find some place up in the mountains within the rocks that seems secure and safe, I would go there. But God, you're the one that's going to have to do this. You're the one who's going to have to come in. You're the one who's going to have to help me. If we jump down to verse 22, he, he then encourages us. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, the threat seems to be physically imminent. The threat always seems to be physical, but that's not the actual threat. That's not the actual threat. Therefore, this is how we defend ourselves. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and all supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's going, look, put on the protection that comes with following Christ and pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for me. Pray for yourselves. Pray for God's people. And in the midst of all of it, keep proclaiming the good news. Keep proclaiming the gospel that Jesus is Lord. That He came to deal with sin and violence and death. To put an end to it. And one day He will return and He will restore a perfect and ultimate peace. And in the meantime, we just look forward to that and walk in faith that when God is with us, we cannot be shaken, come what may. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even in the midst of that section, Paul is quoting from Psalm 44. O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but you set them free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor by their own arm were they saved. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Though we push down our foes, through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You've made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You made us the taunt of our neighborhood, of our neighbors, and the derision and scorn of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. 
All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger, all of this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you broke us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's the context of the verse that Paul is quoting in Romans chapter 8. God, we remember the stories of the way that you protected your people way back then. And now, even though we're following you, look at all of the stuff that is happening to us. We're under constant threat. We're dying continually. Awake, verse 23. Awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And so then when we come back to Romans chapter 8 and we see this again, we hear... Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Nope. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither height nor, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we walk without fear in a volatile world? We have hope that Jesus is walking with us and when he walks with us, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. This morning we get to celebrate that hope. If that hope is yours this morning, I would encourage you, we have a table here in the front and one in the back. Uh, You can make your way during the next song up to uh, take the bread and the cup back to your seat. And then I will come up after the next song and we will take it together to remember that Jesus died for us and rose again from the dead. And because of that, we are his. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God. There is so much that would distract us. There is so much that seems to be a threat to us. And we have really only been able to look at a couple of them this morning. But we know that in all of these things that you are with us. That you are our God who has loved us. Who has called us to you. And so, Lord, we have confidence in that, that come what may, you will be with us forevermore.
never leaving us nor forsaking us, but holding us surely until the day when you will make all things new and there will be peace and you will reign perfectly forevermore. Lord, it is in anticipation of that coming hope that we rejoice. And it is in your promises to be with us that we have faith today. And we ask that you would assure our hearts of these promises. In Jesus' name, amen.